is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Because cows are like my favourite animal and I like, um, like how they like go. You won't get better than that today. That's Bailey talking about his love for cows and the high country calf sales as well. We'll continue our coverage from that part of the world today on the Country Hour. G'day, Warwick Long with you today. Huge thank you to the ABC Rural team who have been everywhere lately. I was in Canberra for the ABS conference looking at the numbers and what's making agriculture tick. We've had a number of members up at the high country sales. You heard from Annie, Emma and Sarah all getting around there. Angus has been in the Wimmera at the field days there. There as well and you're going to hear stories and news from those events colouring our programs for the many days to come. One thing we love doing at this program is getting out on the road so if you ever have anywhere you think we should go you can always send us an email countryhour at abc.net.au Meanwhile today what happens and can a government department even run out of money? That could be the case for the Federal Department of Agriculture it means cuts are happening right now Maybe not to the essential services the department does, but we're going to work out what is being cut and how to solve a funding crisis for the government department that looks after agriculture and a whole lot more fisheries, forestry included in that as well. Plus, we'll have a look at movement on right to repair with, well, some major changes are being flagged by decision makers as well. You'll hear from them today on the program and a whole lot more, but let's get some rural news with Emma Field right now. G'day, Emma. G'day Warwick. Making rural news, flooding in northwest Queensland is continuing as a monsoon trough batters an already saturated region with record-breaking rainfall. Supplies are being flown, trucked and shipped thousands of kilometres across the state to surface remote communities in the Gulf of Carpentaria that have been isolated by floodwaters for the last three months. Mayor of the Berkshire, Ernie Camp, says the area is experiencing its biggest wet season in about a decade and dozens have been evacuated, with more expected. Preparation for evacuations of the people from Riversley Cattle Station. Um, Riversley, previous historic records, uh, 1971, 10.8. It's now 17.97. Yeah. And then, of course, the uh, township of Gregory, uh, 2004, 13.91. It's now 14.3. And, of course, that river, um, water from Riverley still has to approach. So uh, certainly difficult times for the residents in, in the Gulf and also now concerns with the uh, stock within the region as well. Grain growers have held a roundtable with the fertiliser industry and government to talk about reducing input costs for farmers and to make the fertiliser industry in Australia more self-sufficient. One idea is to use a government fund to foster new processing infrastructure. Shona Gavell, CEO of Grain Growers, says many options were put on the table, but more work is required. I think when it comes to domestic manufacturing, there's lots of opportunities there uh, and and things that we can capitalise on, which is great for the entire grains industry. There's obviously considerations that come into it as well with domestic manufacturing, um, but it is something that we're looking at at the moment and we were pleased um, that the Minister uh, made the announcement yesterday that under consideration at the moment is uh, the National Reconstruction Fund as a potential avenue for developing investment in the space. 
One of Australia's largest rail freight operator, Horizon, has teamed up with South Australian grain bulk handler Viterra to bring rail freight back to the Eyre Peninsula for next year's harvest. The companies have also applied for federal government funding to upgrade the rail network between Port Lincoln and Cummins, along with the Cummins to Woodner line. Local resident Marie Shaw says if rail gets reopened, there'll be fewer trucks on the road. And instead of the taxpayer having to fork out millions of dollars for three overtaking lanes, taxpayers won't be paying for the damage caused by trucks on roads. Obviously, there'll still be trucks, but the number of trucks over there at the moment is just beyond belief. Staying in South Australia, the SA government has announced it will choose Billy Lights Point as the location for the Air Peninsula desalination plant despite the local aquaculture industry protesting against that location. The site selection committees say the proposed Sleaford West site has the most support locally. Minister for Climate Change, Environment and Water, Susan Close, says she understands the site is controversial, but it's essential to have the plant up and running by 2025. I understand that people in Port Lincoln who are opposed to Billy Light's point will be very cross with me, will be upset that we've made this decision to go ahead with this site. But I cannot allow this incredibly important part of South Australia to risk running out of water. And Australia's cotton harvest has kicked off in Queensland for 2023. Cotton Australia are predicting a harvest this year to top 5.2 million bales, which is lower than last year's record. Kim Stevens, a Queensland farmer, says it's been a slow season this year and harvest is a few weeks behind. It usually would be pretty flat out with picking, but we're only seeing a small amount of pickers starting up in the last couple of weeks. It'll sort of continue on slowly, but it probably won't be really busy picking up until probably May, May, June. And generally, what's the quality like at the moment? So far, yeah, the quality of the cotton seems to be going really well. And that wraps up. Rural News. Thanks very much for that, Emma Field, with Rural News for you today on the program. Would love your input on this, your read on this, especially if you are somebody who uses, which we all do if you're travelling overseas, the Federal Department of Agriculture's uh, resources. This is the department that looks after things like biosecurity and other efforts to help industries as well. You can send us a text 0467 842 722. The Federal Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry is on the cusp of requiring a financial bailout as it falls hundreds of millions of dollars into the red. One insider with knowledge of the cash flow woes described the department's finances as custard. Another has told the ABC the situation is desperate and must be addressed within months. I'm speaking here to ABC Rural's Parliament House reporter, Kath Sullivan, who has been exposing the details of the department's dire finances. We've learned that the department could be in debt to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, I've heard differing views as to how long this problem has been festering for, uh, but we know that the department has had to take action and it's notified staff of some of the cost-cutting measures. This includes a ban on all travel and training for staff and the the ending of several contracts for contracted workforce. We understand that uh, permanent staff won't be affected by the cost-saving measures, but the department's already started uh, ceasing or ending 
ending contracts with some of its contracted workforce. And it's worth pointing out, Warwick, that the amount of spending that goes on to contractors from the department has really increased over the last little while. Um, about a decade ago, the spend was something like $5 million. More recently in 2021-22, we saw the spend on contractors up close to $90 million um, per year. So uh, that's one area that the department's clearly identified as an area where it can save money. And Kath, this is a department that does important work on behalf of the government, mm. either managing biosecurity risks, uh, working with industries that, as we've learnt this week, are evaluated at over $90 billion right now. Are any of those works from the department at risk? Well, the department tells us that all essential services will continue and remain unaffected by these budgetary constraints. And you touch on biosecurity there, and we know the role that uh, our biosecurity frontline plays in protecting agriculture from things like foot and mouth disease, which has the potential to wipe that $90 billion just about off off the trade um, over a decade should it get here. We know that it's in Indonesia and not far away. African swine fever, another one that could have huge ramifications. We constantly talk about some of these risks here on the Country Hour, but you know, that's just agriculture. There's $6 trillion worth of environmental assets that could be uh, implicated if we don't have a strong biosecurity defence line. And some of the services that the department provides or performs are things like at quarantine, ensuring that travellers returning from Bali are walking over foot mats to, to disinfect their boots, scanning mail coming into the country to ensure that there's no uh, meat product that hasn't been treated or, or that is coming in with without proper permits. Things like sniffer dogs in our airports and at our ports. It's also overseeing the, uh, our international trade and ensuring regulation of uh, animal welfare standards for live exports. There's a huge amount of work that the department does and I think a lot of people will be concerned to learn that there is um, this talk now of a potential financial bailout. And Kath, that takes me to the issue of the staff themselves. Were they aware of the dire financial situation their department is in? Look, we've been hearing um, whispers a, a little bit in the last little while about the financial situation. Um, and once the ABC actually put questions to the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry, uh, an all-staff note email was issued late yesterday outlining some of the cost-cutting measures um, and that email going to all staff from the Department Secretary, Andrew Metcalf, who identified um, machinery of government changes as a potential area of cost blowout. Now, Machinery of government changes might be a foreign term to a lot of people. Basically, what he's referring to there was a decision by the government of the day in 2019 to merge the Department of Agriculture with the Department of Water and Environment. You might recall the acronym DOOR emerged. Um, that obviously came at a cost. And we then saw last year when Labor formed government a decision to uh, demerge those departments and door became a thing of the past and DAF resumed again. So the Department Secretary has highlighted that as a potential cause for um, for some of these cost blowouts. But we've also heard that this has been an issue that's been festering for some time. And it's probably worth pointing out was that 
The Department of Agriculture is a little bit different to other um, federal public bureaucracies in that it's a, a large amount of its funding actually comes from cost recovery or, or fees for services. That is, people who use these services, who use these um, biosecurity services, for example, are the ones who actually pay. And this is a system that hasn't been reviewed um, since 2015, um, so eight years now, and we have seen a lot of changes to the demand on biosecurity services. You think about the way that COVID has impacted the supply chain and our freight and shipping channels um, and just the threats that we're seeing. Um, I touched on African swine fever and uh, foot and mouth disease, which of course are inching ever closer to Australia's shores. So the threats are increasing, demand for services is increasing, but somehow the finances haven't been able to keep up and we know that the department's spending more money than it's got coming in. So what has the government had to say about this so far? Are they looking at ways if either the department starts lifting its charges on some of those fees for service or the, mm. or the government providing an injection in, into the department's finances? We're yet to hear from the government um, since learning about the extent of the, the cost blowout at the department. We're hoping the Agriculture Minister, Murray Watt, might be available um, shortly. He has oversight of the department. You hear about a government department having a short for in its budget. What does that actually mean, I suppose, in the day-to-day until something is sorted out here? Well, it means that they're spending more money than they've got coming in. And we know that they've had to cut services. It sounds like a quite a stressful time for people who work within the department, for people who rely on their services. Now, the department's told us that essential services aren't being affected by this cost-cutting endeavour, we'll call it. We um, It says that it is ensuring that it meets all of its statutory responsibilities, that essential services are going ahead. But I think that we're going to see a lot more questions asked about this in the coming days, weeks and months. And now I think it's becoming even clearer that this next coming federal budget, due in just a couple of months in May, we'll need to go some way to addressing um, and funding these really important services. That's Kath Sullivan, our reporter in Canberra, in Parliament House in Canberra, on the situation of the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry is effectively running out of money, uh, heading into a shortfall and now having to cut training, travel services and contractors to the business, but saying essential services aren't yet affected. You can read more online about that story at ABC Rural, abc.net.au slash rural. And as mentioned, the Minister for Agriculture, Murray Watt, has been contacted for comment and we'll await to see what he has to say about the matter. You can tell us what you think, though, 0467 842 722. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Away from departments and the machine of government, let's head up almost as far away from that as you can get, isn't it, to the high country in uh, Victoria. It's been brimming with people as around 7,000 cattle uh, sold across five sales in Hinamunji, Omeo, Benambra and Ensay this week. ABC reporters were there to see packed out pubs, swags in all sorts of locations and plenty of faces looking on as cattle were being sold. And with that in mind, we caught up with some of the people around the yards and some of the characters that make these places tick. And we had to start with the youngest. Meet Bailey. Um, uh, my age is 10. I'm turning 11 this year. Live in Nanagoon. 
you want to invite me anyway in Cobras? So you're here with Dad today. Can you tell me what you guys have been doing today? Um, moving a couple of cattle around and drafting a couple. And what's it been like? Pretty fun. Except for when Dad nearly got bowled over. Why? I think I saw that one too, yeah. <laughs> yeah there, not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah, so have you come to Omeo before to work at the sale yards like this or help out? Yeah, last year I did. This is my second year. I'm probably going to come next year too. <laughs> so you're loving it? Yeah. Yeah. What do you love about it? I like just like getting... Because cows are like my favourite animal and I like... Um, like how they like go, and I just like going in the truck with that and stuff. Oh, hi, my name's Matt Tinkler, and I'm the state livestock manager for elders throughout Victoria and then the Riverina. So. Matt, have you been doing a bit of buying today? Yeah, I have. Look, I've been buying on behalf of. Um, some of our staff that couldn't get here and, and their clients um, and also some of our clients throughout the state. So, yeah. I've had quite a few people say it was a buyer's market today. Yeah, look, I think we're, uh, with where the cattle market's been and we've all been anticipating has been a buyer's market compared to where it was 12 months ago. Um, but certainly I think everyone's come away from both our sales today being relatively satisfied with the prices they've achieved. So in speaking to some other buyers um, that bought last year, they said it was really hard to make money last year because of the high prices. Are you going to be able to? Are your clients going to be able to make money out of what they bought today? Oh, look, we certainly hope so, Emma. Um, yeah, look, you're right. There's some cattle that are still sitting around that were purchased, you know, last year in 2022 that haven't been sold yet, just to, due to the the change in cattle price. But look. There's still plenty of feed around in relative terms. I know we're in a bit of a dry autumn at the moment. A lot of positivity with what's going on overseas with the cattle market. So if people are prepared to hold and, and can feed them, um, look, you talk about a buyer's market, I think it's there's some great opportunities for the buyers. So, yeah. So was there a few clients that sort of said, well, the price is where it should be, so I might go and buy a few more? Yeah, I think so. Look, this, this you've always got... Um, depending on your buyers, you've got some that will say, no, I'm going to sit out, I've got enough around me, and some that will say, no, let's let's come back now, so we'll average our cattle out, and, and it just depends. But when you're in the cattle trading game, most people look at it on a, on a three or four-year average, so some years will be higher than others. And, yeah. uh, you obviously follow the livestock market quite closely. Where do you reckon at? Has it got upside, or are we uh, in a period now where it's going to stay where it is? Oh, look, I think it's got a lot of upside, um, but it's not going to be a, a quick you know slingshot up it'll it'll gradually improve and a lot of it will be dependent on what happens seasonal wise really now um yeah there's there's grass in the paddocks to a degree albeit dry but if we can get an autumn break in the south that'll very quickly change change your perception and opinion of the market it's obviously pretty dry here today it's been dry for a few months although albeit coming off a very wet winter people nervous about the coming season with and and whether or not it's going to be dry or, or similar I think everyone gets a bit nervous in sort of March and April about what's ahead. Um, but uh, look, there's, you know, it's it's nowhere near what we saw in the early 2000s and back in, in 2017. So um, there's still plenty of positivity about where we are seasonal-wise. Um, yeah, it has, it's been a wet winter. Maybe not as much fodder in storage that people would have liked to have got. So that that's probably holding that people just a little bit in reserve in terms of saying, yeah, I've, I've, you know, what have I got to get through the winter? So. I'm Russell Pendergast, a farmer at Benambra. And how long have you been farming in Benambra for? 
60 odd years. How, how's the day going in terms of the sales? Oh, the sales going along at, um, by no means as dear as last year. Too dear last year, too dear too quick last year. It's, it's dropped back probably $800 by the look of it today, so a bit of a haircut. And how are the pastures for this season with your farm? Very wet. The 40 inch rainfall this last year and quite a bit in January and then it's dried off like it looks today, pretty dry. So it's been a good year, you would say? Yeah, yeah, good, certainly. And what else is interesting about Benambra, apart from obviously the calf sales? Well, in our case, it was a good place to bring our kids up. Nice and quiet, they've all gone away now. And uh, yeah, just a nice place to live. Russell Prendergast there, Benambra Farmer, speaking to Sarah Price. You also heard from Matt Tinkler, Livestock Agent from Elders, speaking to Emma Field and uh, Annie Brown was catching up with Bailey, who just loves cows. And I love that, Bailey. Thank you for sharing that with us on the program today. You can send us a text, 0467 842 722. You can ring as well, 1300 977 This text, though, on the Department of Agriculture Running out of money, maybe if the government hadn't spent so much money on the expensive submarine artwork from France, there'd be more money to use at home, says this text message. Well, I think that's a different department. I don't think DAF looks after the submarines. And uh, they are, as you heard from Kath Sullivan, one of the few departments that charges fee for service for things like quarantine work and so forth. But clearly that has not kept up with the expenditure, so it'll certainly be something to follow from here. But thank you very much for your text as well. We'll continue on the country. We've got our news and weather on the way. Before we get there, we'll leave the high country and head out towards the Grampians. Progress is finally expected on the East Grampians Pipeline Project, five years after the business case was approved. But more money is going to be needed to deliver the project in full after big increases in the cost of works. Rural reporter Angus Verley spoke with Mark Williams, who's the Managing Director at Grampians Wimmera Mallee Water, about the project, which will deliver piped water to agricultural areas around Ararat and remove the need for farmers and residents to cut water in dry times. We're now at a point where all those studies are complete and uh, all the necessary approvals are effectively ready to uh, make the project ready to go. So we're, we're now just having a dialogue with the stakeholders about making sure that, um, that we can move the pro- project forward with, um, with the scope that we presently have. Have you got enough money or, or do you need more? Uh, look, we're, we're sort of um, in a situation at the moment where there's been a little bit of creep and we're trying to get that covered. And uh, we want to make sure that that we uh, we we can keep the project scope in in intent. But um, we're, we're looking to get the project going uh, with the money that we've got, and uh, with that, um, that's really the key objective at this point in time. So, creep being inflation and just an increased cost of capital works. Uh, generally that, yeah. But, but once again, it's really we're we're looking to get the project going, Angus, and uh, we'll we'll hopefully get those things sorted out in time. What's the scope in terms of area and potential prospective customers? Uh, for East Grampians, it goes down as far as towards uh, Streatham, up as in its farthest point. Um, it takes water off Lake Vines. It also takes uh, water off Mount Cole Pipeline. And uh, there's a bit of re-engineering of that pipeline, so it's picking up that area up around uh, Warwick, um, just uh, on the east side of Ararat. Uh, and then um, through around towards Buanga. So um, that's basically the footprint. Um, it's a, a reasonably large footprint, but commensurate with uh, 
the recently completed Southwest Lawton pipeline project, so it's similar in size and scope, um, just a bit of a different um, type of solution. What's the, the business model? What, what does it cost people to get connected and then to have water delivered? For each of the landowners, it's a, um, a commitment of uh, paying $2,500 a megalitre for, for the water and, uh, and we've had a, a contribution based on the landholder size for, um, for a, a capital contribution, but it's a, it's a relatively uh, modest contribution relative to the cost of the project and uh, with that there's also demonstrated environmental benefits for the project. Now, that's the East Scrampians pipeline, which I suppose is, is well progressed, but you, there are a couple of other projects in earlier stages. Uh, Southern Wimmera and North East Pyrenees Rural Water Supply Project? Yeah, that's a project that um, Pyrenees Shire and Northern Grampian Shire uh, have been successful in getting uh, funding from Regional Development Victoria to do a feasibility study, and they've approached us to do the the technical work in assessing the feasibility, uh, it'll pick up an area which we'd loosely call um, probably eastern infill for all of our pipeline network. So um, it's uh, picking up the corridor of sort of the Wimmera River through from Glen Orkey right through to Natty Yellick in its investigation phase. And another project which uh, I guess is in the very early stages, I mean... It, there was a business case doing the rounds about five years ago, but I don't think it's progressed. It's that West Grampians pipeline project. Yeah, and that's um, one that we uh, had some funding for to do the feasibility into a business case. And um, whilst there's some merit in the business case, there's a few elements of that project that we're still working through around. Uh, it's a bit more um, complex in, the, in some of the inputs, so... We're still working through the extent that we might um, have an alternative water supply source for the town of Edenhope and possibly Harrow. Edenhope is presently on a bore supply and we know that that's not a long-term solution for them, but it's sustaining the community at this point in time. There's a bit of infrastructure in the, around that region which is owned by Aluka and um, so there has been some dialogue around them. So it'll probably become a little bit more clear as to where that might head over the next couple of years when we... Uh, get get clarity around what we're likely to do with a long-term solution for Eden Hope uh, and also to what extent Aluka in there uh, desire to do further mining in the region might proceed as well. Have you got surplus water to, to supply these additional projects? Uh, look, we've still got uh, growth water available, which was created through the Rimali Pipeline project. But now we've got uh, enough water to cover that in context of the, the emerging demands. That's Mark Williams, Managing Director of Grampians Wimmera Mallee Water, speaking there with Angus Furley, something to follow through. Coming up is the news and weather. After that, you're going to hear from the Federal Government, which is making some movement, maybe, around the issue of right to repair for agricultural machinery. This has been a major issue as machinery has become more technical. Uh, who has the right to have a look and fix problems but also service their own machinery? Many farmers have been locked out of doing that. We'll hear what the government wants to do and we'll take you to the field days again in the west of the state because as I said we've been everywhere lately. Let's head to the regional newsroom. Speaking of going everywhere right now, Madeline Spencer has the regional news headlines for us this afternoon. Good afternoon Madeline. Good afternoon Warwick. Making news, Victoria's government-owned logging company is being urged to improve its freedom of information processes. An investigation by the Victorian Information Commissioner has found Vic Forest failed to provide fair access to information to a member of the public for almost two years. 
The report says Vic Forrest sent long and complex letters to the woman, which delayed the process. The commissioner says the state's freedom of information laws should be reviewed. Police are concerned about a significant spike in lives lost on rural roads this year, with 42 deaths since January, a 57% increase on the five-year average. In response, Victoria Police's Operation Arid will commence tomorrow and run for four days, targeting high-risk behaviour and non-compliance on the roads. A global company behind Portland's aluminum smelter has warned industrial action on the plant could impact the broader community. 50 workers at the Alcoa smelter are set to ramp up stoppages over an eight-month stalemate on what they call low wages. But an Alcoa spokesperson says they believe their offer of a 13% wage increase over four years is both fair for employees and sustainable for business. Western Victoria's Assistant Commissioner says he's concerned about scams targeting communities across the region. Data from the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission shows nationwide more than $50 million has been lost to scammers in 2023 so far. Mick Granger says people of all ages can fall victim to cyber criminals. A New South Wales-led domestic violence service on the border is calling for Victorian government support as it experiences an increase in demand from clients in both states. The Women's Centre for Health and Wellbeing in Albury says since July last year, Victorian clients have increased by nearly 50% compared to the same time period the year before. The centre sees about 1,200 women a year now and says it needs more than the $50,000 it currently receives to see Victorian clients. For more news anytime, visit abc.net.au forward slash news. Thanks, Madeline. Madeline Spencer there with regional news headlines just on the text on the funding hole that has uh, hit the Federal Department of Agriculture, as we've heard. Hundreds of millions of dollars in the red. Carol's saying perhaps the ABC should forego some of their billions, Carol. I think you need to look up how much actually goes to the ABC. But uh, as we were looking at the numbers, you could... Probably say goodbye to the radio programs you're texting right now. And if you're okay with that, that's okay too, Carol. Thanks for your text uh, and many others coming in. We had a story earlier on about on the Air Peninsula, a lot more rail development happening there. This was in our rural news. Uh, Jules at Rokewood wasn't happy with what she heard. They were saying how ratepayers won't have to pay for damage to roads from trucks. Uh, where do these people think all the money uh, made from grain goes to to rate pay to pay rates by landowners, workers, etc. They buy buy all all the stuff in towns to live. Dollars go round and round. Says Jules, making that point as well. You can keep the text coming in zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. Right to repair chat on the way. Let's go to the Bureau of Meteorology first. Find out what's happening weather wise around our state today. Hannah Marsh is a senior forecaster on duty at the Bureau. G'day, Hannah. Hi, Warwick. How's it looking today? At my Shepparton window, blue skies and a few white clouds. That's about it. Yeah, well, in the north, that's true. There is a little bit more cloud as we head further to the south. And uh, there is even some shower activity at the moment about uh, southern coasts. But we've got a weak front through Bass Strait that will uh, push up and result in the continuation of the, that shower activity. So having a look at some of the temperatures, so far it's been to around 17 to 22 degrees. So the warmest so far has been uh, Wolpia, 
at 22, uh, east sales got up to 21, 20 so far at Geelong, and 20 also at Mildura, 19 in the city in Melbourne and also at Wangaratta, 17 so far at Horsham and Bendigo and 16 at Ballarat. We're still heading for temperatures around that um, 19 to 25 degree mark. As we head into tomorrow, expect some patchy morning fog inland. Uh, we're generally looking at a dry day. It will be mostly sunny in the north and also in the far east as well, but there is just a slight chance of seeing a shower along the Otway and Bass coasts uh, tomorrow morning mainly, but not expecting much in that. A little with bit the, around smoke haze tomorrow too, yeah? What's... Yeah, with the prescribed burn um, program starting to increase, there will be uh, quite a few burns happening around the state tomorrow. So with a bit of an inversion, that'll just trap the smoke and there is the chance of seeing some smoke haze, um, particularly in the vicinity of the areas that they are doing that uh, planned burning. Uh, no worries. And then on the weekend, how's it looking there? Yeah, not too bad at all. We've got... Um, Patchy morning fog again inland on Saturday, but generally we're looking at a dry and mostly sunny day, particularly in the north on Saturday. On Sunday, there's just the slight chance of seeing a shower about the southwest coast later in the day because we've got an upper-level system that we're expecting to come through later on Saturday and into Sunday, which will see an increase in shower and thunderstorm activity, mainly on and south of the Divide and also about the northeast ranges on Sunday. And then early next week, is there anything worth keeping an eye on for us, Hannah? That weather does clear out to the east, so we're looking at that shower activity continuing on Monday, but really uh, not much to write home about with the winds uh, shifting more northerly and temperatures uh, warming up as we head beyond uh, Monday. So no major rain event over the next week or so? No, it's not looking that way. No worries. And, And any warnings we need to be aware of at the moment, or is it still pretty clear? Uh, we've just still got the marine wind warning, so we've got a coastal strong wind warning for the central coast, central Gippsland and east Gippsland coasts for today. Then by tomorrow, that's just contracted to the east Gippsland coast. Fantastic. Hannah, thank you very much for that. Thank you. Senior forecaster at the Weather Bureau, Hannah Marsh, taking you through the full forecast. There, look, for a quiet period of time, there's still a little bit going on there, isn't there? 0467 842 if you want to send us a text... I'm so interested in how a government department running low on money brings up all of your feelings either towards government, towards tax, towards individual programs. Kevin from Bort saying, if the government didn't waste all the fuel tax we pay in metro areas, we would have great roads, says Kevin from Bort as well. 0467842722. I don't mind having a look at some of your texts and thoughts that are coming in on these issues and where you draw some of the links as well. It is 21 to 1 here on the country. Now, let's keep talking government right now, but for a very much an on-farm issue. The federal government is asking the Australian farming industry for ideas on how best to give farmers the right to repair the equipment they buy. So in January, the American Farm Bureau signed an MOU with major farm machinery dealers to allow US farmers access to machinery repair codes, diagnostics and manuals after they were initially locked out by companies protecting intellectual property rights. The same issue is facing Australian farmers and they want a similar solution. 
Andrew Lee is the Assistant Minister for Competition, and he says he wants to hear from industry about some of these solutions and work out a deal for Australian farmers. I spoke to him earlier today. I'm certainly interested in the potential for expanding the right to repair. Uh, for many years, I've been campaigning for data sharing for mechanics to be able to fix modern cars. Uh, modern cars are computers on wheels, and unless independent mechanics had access to those data, they were looking at going to the wall. And the very same issue arises with agricultural machinery. Uh, the movements in the United States suggest a way in which this uh, might be possible to achieve, and certainly it would improve agricultural productivity, uh, because you're talking about farmers being able to fix their machines quicker, uh, and at harvest time, uh, you've got uh, dollars going out the door if you're not harvesting quickly. Do you like the idea of, a, of an MOU-type deal with manufacturers, or are there other things the government can look at in this space? Uh, well, I'm open to how we do this, but I think it is important that we uh, look at the issue. Uh, the previous government implemented the uh, motor vehicle repair inf information sharing scheme, but didn't include our agricultural machinery. Why not? Uh, I think they wanted to uh, get get up a narrower scheme at the time, but I recognise that uh, the, uh, there's been a lot of engagement from uh, industry, from stakeholders, National Farmers Federation have been enthusiastic about this. Uh, I'm keen to see whether there's a, a path forward where we can work cooperatively with the manufacturers in order to make sure that uh, farmers are able to fix the machines that, after all, they've paid for. Is the issue here, what are you actually buying when you, when you buy a vehicle from a manufacturer if you're not actually allowed to, to access any of the, the important uh, machinery behind operating the equipment uh, because of its intellectual property rights? Yeah, it's an issue of consumer sovereignty. It's also an issue of competition in the repair market. In the context of uh, passenger motor vehicles, we had a, a problem where if data wasn't being shared, independent mechanics would basically go to the wall. Uh, they'd be able to wash the wheels, but they wouldn't be able to get under the hood. Uh, and so with information sharing, we've ensured that uh, those independent mechanics are able to provide a bit of competitive pressure in the market, put downward pressure on the price of uh, repairs, and ensure that people have uh, more choice. It's been important in regional areas because uh, people often have to, would have to otherwise drive a long way to get to an authorised dealer. Instead, they can use an independent mechanic. And all those same principles flow through to farm machinery. Uh, it's often a uh, pretty lo long uh, distance to travel. Uh, and so if you've got to wait for an authorised repairer to come out, uh, that can be time and money that you're losing. So what happens from here in terms of, of your point of view? What's the, the timeline for change here? Yeah, I'm keen to continue the conversations with stakeholders and with the Australian Competition Consumer Commission, see whether or not they're able to uh, suggest a constructive way forward. Ideally, we'd do this on a collaborative basis, as has been done in the United States. Uh, in the area of passenger motor vehicles, it was ultimately necessary uh, to, uh, to come in with a government-imposed scheme. Uh, let's see whether we're able to get something, something voluntary up in the first instance. How fast could change happen? I'd like to see change happening quickly, but uh, these, these issues uh, tend to be fairly complicated and there's a, an awful lot of uh, issues that arise with farm machinery uh, that don't arise with passenger motor vehicles. Uh, there's a smaller number of suppliers uh, and a smaller number of users as well. Uh, so we need to make sure that we get it right, uh, but we're standing firmly on the side of competition, firmly on the side of farmers. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, Australian agric agricultural producers uh, have access to uh, a competitive market for repair. There's the, the MOU model, the Memorandum of Understanding, which would have manufacturers at the table. If the ACCC was involved, I'd imagine that's more of a code of conduct or, or regulation type space. Is that correct? 
Yeah, certainly the ACCC can oversee voluntary codes, but uh, the other uh, the other alternative is to go for a mandatory approach. I'm open-minded, but I know that the goal needs to be uh, getting more choice for farmers uh, and quicker repair for uh, at harvest time. Do you want to hear more from industry? Absolutely. I encourage people to get in touch with my office. I'm not difficult to find at the modestly named andrewlee.com. Very keen to hear people's views. That is the Assistant Minister for Competition, Labor's Andrew Lee, plugging his own website but wanting to hear from farmers and industry on how to set up a right-to-repair type system in Australia for Australian farmers. be interested to know what you think if you're listening to that. Do you think there needs to be an MOU, so basically a document that just uh, brings farming and the manufacturers together to say we will give you this access, or do you think there needs to be a more either voluntary or an official mandatory code of conduct uh, imposed on machinery dealers to allow access to the equipment that they're selling. You can get in contact and let us know. You can either send us a text. I've been giving that number out a bit, but you can email us as well, countryhour at abc.net.au if you'd like to spend a bit more time sending us your thoughts, countryhour at abc.net.au. If you're talking about trying to fix a new tractor, you might head to a field day to try and buy one, wouldn't you? In normal circumstances, tyre kicking at a field day can lead to an on-the-spot on sale and all of a sudden you've got something new and shiny in the shed. But for the most part, that can't happen at the moment because of the big delays in getting new machinery. That means almost all of the machinery on site at the Wimmera Machinery Field Days this week is pre-sold or even returned back from the farm it's been sold to to have something to display. Rural reporter Angus Verley spoke with Derek Reid, sales manager with a Horsham branch of machinery dealer Emmett's, about how things are tracking at the field days this year. Uh, look, a lot of positivity around. I think guys are uh, happy just to take a day off. You know, the schedule's been pretty full for uh, quite a while now since uh, pre-harvest. So, um, yeah, it's good to get out and about. The weather's treating us really nice. We've had some good traffic yesterday and certainly started well today. Are the people coming through? Are they? Is anyone genuinely interested, or just having a bit of a browse? Yeah, it's a bit of a tough one for us, I guess. Um, probably more of a marketing exercise than a selling exercise here. But um, right now, in the in the current market, with production delays and shipping delays and everything, it's it's just a matter of about getting info out there, getting guys on top of what's happening, and and trying to plan for the future as best as we can. And that's what a lot of people here are saying, that the great majority of machinery on display, traditionally it'd be for sale on the day, but this year with those delays that you talked about, a lot of it's either pre-sold or even been uh, reclaimed from, from farms. Is that the case for you guys? Yeah, no, we're definitely no different there. We've uh, we've been extremely lucky to have some uh, ultra-generous customers who have uh, allowed us to drag their machinery along. Most of this stuff hasn't actually been delivered, but definitely um, 95% pre-sold and customer-owned for sure. So the stuff that had been delivered and maybe had already been put to work maybe needed a good wash? Yeah, no, it keeps the boys busy. Um, yeah, there's a couple of units on here that have done a little bit of work, but, um, yeah, very fortunate that way that everything sort of landed where it was. So some industries starting to talk about an easing of those those delays, but in the machinery space, not seeing that as yet. Not so much. Um, demand is still really high globally. So um, you know, as everyone knows, Australia is a, a fairly small player in the in the demand market. So we just have to play along with the rest of the world. But um, look, it's getting a bit better. We're sort of we're learning how to treat these ordering windows and things a little bit better. Um, the the companies themselves are planning a little bit better for us. So. Um, yeah, we're, look, we're becoming more knowledgeable in this sort of market, but hopefully it's not like this for, uh, for forever. 
So if someone comes up to you today and says, uh, I'd like a new X9 harvester, please, when can they expect to get it? Uh, they would not be seeing it in the 2023 harvest. Um, yeah, we'd definitely be looking for 24 later in the year. Um, we do have some stock uh, single rotors still available um, for this year. We were lucky enough to get a hold of some stock there. But, um, yeah, harvesters next year, uh, tractors are, are pretty much at 12, 12 to 14 months out, depending upon what you want to order now. So, And then um, all the rest of your seasonal gear like sprayers and, and seeding sort of normal. They're just uh, We're outside of those windows at the moment. There's been a lot of commentary as well about demand for second-hand gear purely because of what you're talking about there, that you just can't get that new gear. Uh, have you seen that as well with with the second-hand gear that you guys sell? 100%. Um, everything that's coming in, you know, the obviously the price of new equipment is going up because of uh, uh, production pressures. Uh, it's it exactly happened with second-hand stuff as well. Dealers can't get their hands on enough second-hand gear to fulfill the market. Everyone's selling things privately, and, and there's still that huge demand. Um, uh, but also pricing pressures on new stuff has also made it very good to sell stuff privately and second-hand as well. So, look... Uh, as long as we've got production delays and, and production shortages on new gear, there'll, there'll be a, a, a really big demand for second-hand stuff. And speaking about the increased cost of new gear, uh, inflation, I suppose, has, has hit pretty much everything. But in the past three years, could you put a percentage figure on how much ag machinery has gone up? Oh, not generally, I'd say, for your larger equipment. You know, a lot of our larger equipment could have gone up in somewhere in the 30 to 40% bracket, but it really depends on what it is, some more than others. Um, you know, you, the smaller you go, the lower the value you go, probably the higher the percentage they've gone up. But, um, yeah, look, it's a, it's a pretty big slog. It's just the market we're in at the moment. Mm, and, but what's the feedback from farmers when, when you're quoting these prices and they're saying... Oh, <laughs> it was a lot less a couple of years ago. Is there acceptance or a lot of pushback? Oh, look, everyone's pretty accepting of the way things are at the moment. You know, we're not the only ones. It's it's industry-wide, it's worldwide, um, whether you're looking at a vehicle, a, a, a ute or a, a tractor or, or just buying something for the house. Um, uh, most people are pretty accepting of the way things are. It's just a matter of adapting and, and trying to future plan as best you can. That's Derek Reid, sales manager with the Horsham branch of Dealers Emmets, speaking about the sale of machinery and the wait times for machinery as well. Certainly something to keep an eye on. As shipping's returned more to normal, it still hasn't found its way to things like some of those big ticket items in machinery yet, has it? So we'll have to keep following that along as we head to more field days and sales around the country as well. Some breaking news for you just before we head to livestock markets today on the program. And if you thought the debate over the end of the live export of sheep from Australia uh, was over, well, think again, because the leader of the Nationals says uh, opposition leader Peter Dutton has given him an ironclad guarantee that a coalition government would allow sheep live sheep exports to continue if elected before the ban takes effect. The federal government says it's committed to ending live sheep exports from Australia, but it won't happen before the next election, meaning the next election could be another battleground on live sheep exports. And David Littleproud says the coalition wants the trade to continue. They're actually going to see the animal welfare standards globally reduce uh, because you will phase out an industry where Australia is world leading and this simplistic notion that we think that we can just process it all here and they'll take it is false. I've been to these countries, I've met with these with these governments, and unless we send live sheep, they won't take price, processed sheep. They will use competitors, competitors that don't have our standards, not just in shipping, but also in processing. 
So if the coalition was returned to government at the next election, would you ensure that the trade could continue? The National Party has made it very clear that any future coalition government will reinstate this industry if Labor shuts it down before we're re-elected. Made it very clear and that means there'll be uh, a lot of work in rebuilding that confidence, rebuilding international relations because unfortunately uh, Murray White and Anthony Albanese didn't even have the courage to go and talk to these markets personally and tell them that they were shutting down. In fact, but sent their department to the wrong to the wrong officials to talk about. That's embarrassing well, and it's done damage. Well, I understand that the officials damage. were acting on the advice of, um, of people in country. Just on that, the Nationals alone does not a government make... What commitment have you got from your coalition partners? Peter, Peter Dutton's made it very clear. He understands that the National Party uh, is, is adamant that this industry needs to be reinstated and will continue if we're able to be re-elected before it's phased out. He understands that's a core principle of the Nationals uh, and he's given me an ironclad guarantee uh, that he will back the Nationals' principle on this one. The coalition promises to keep the live sheep export from Australia? It, it will continue. Uh, and I can tell you, we, we undertook the reforms. We have world-leading animal welfare. We have gone from a mortality base of measurement to an animal welfare. We can measure the pants per minute on boats uh, as they go across now. They're observed with independent observers. We are actually also uh, can measure the, the airflow through these boats. We're measuring the length of wool to the millimetre. And we're also measuring the weight of these animals before they go on. Other countries don't do that. And this is where these animal activists and the, and the Albanese government are morally bankrupt in what they are trying to push here to the Australian people because they will have they will have a perverse animal welfare outcome uh, and this is Australia cutting and running and causing much much distress and animal perversion. Will you be making a submission to the consultation panel? Oh, look, I'm not, a, not going to make a, a, a submission to a panel that wants to phase out an industry that I'm going to keep, and I will reinstate. That is the National Party's view, and that's what will happen once we are re-elected. There is no ifs, buts or maybes. This industry will continue under a National Party that is part of a coalition government. There is no, no equivocation on that whatsoever. Last election was meant to decide the future of the live export of sheep from Australia. Well, it seems like next election could do the same too. That's Nationals leader David Littleproud speaking there with Kath Sullivan in Canberra. You're listening to The Country Hour. Let's go to livestock markets now. Yeah, we'll kick off today in Bansdale with the cattle market there. We'll say g'day to Brendan Fletcher. G'day. Warwick numbers decreased to 97. That's 143 fewer with a small group of buyers operating in a cheaper market in places. Quality was plain with secondary cattle throughout. The handful of plain young cattle sold to firm demand. The grown lots were mostly lacking finish and held firm. Heavyweight cows sold firm while lightweight dairy cows lost 30 cents. Heavy bulls eased 10. Yearling steers reached a top of 351 to feed on. Ground steers and bullocks 324 to 350. Lighter weight dairy cows 145 to 200 cents. Heavyweights 215 to 300 cents. Heavy bulls 257 to 268. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Brendan. We'll head across to the sheep markets now uh, with the debate around live ex. It doesn't really affect our markets in Victoria all that much as we've discussed in the past. But we might as well find out what the prices are doing anyway. We'll head to Wagga first and Leanne Dax. 
Good afternoon, Agents Yarder. Just over 40,000 lambs and 12,000 sheep. Half the offering were either off types or stall lambs. The fast approaching disruption to markets with Labor Day in Victoria and the Easter looming holiday break. Buyers did report they have plenty of direct-to-work lambs available, leaving less slaughter space. This did result in a price correction of $15 to $20 across trade and heavy categories. Under 18 kilos carcass weight fell $30 and up to $50. 20 to 24 kilo trade lambs, 104 to 177. 24 to 26, 160 to 189. 26 to 30, 184 to 225. Over 30 kilos, 224 to 260. Store lambs anywhere from $20 to $128. Restockers stepped into trade lambs, paying from 114 to 157. Merino hoggets, $30 to 128. And crossbred hoggets, $70 to 124. With a sheep yet to be sold, Leandax MLA. Bit more action today as well. We'll head out to Hamilton now for the sheep market report there. That's coming today as we we get a few more divides in Hamilton markets over the the weeks to come, and certainly into early next. Uh, well, in in towards the Easter time. I nearly said early next year, but we're what three months in. Oh, come on, get it right. Was let's head to Hamilton and Chris Agnew. Thanks, Warwick. Numbers increased at Hamilton by 3,400 head for a total of 12,500 sheep. The offering was plain with less heavy sheep on offer. Fewer merinos were offered and those that were available were carried less weight. Three major processes were absent from the market and those attending the market were not always fully active. The market was softer for heavy sheep by 5 to $10 per head and the medium to light sheep were 10 to $15 per head cheaper and the very lights up to $30 $30 per head softer. Heavy crossbred ewes sold to $146 per head, with a covered merino ewe selling to $111 per head. Very good merino weathers topped at $103, and a very heavy pen of crossbred weathers making up to $150 per head. The general run of mutton realised between $280 and $320. Cents. The merino mutton averaged between $280 and $350. At Hamilton, this is Chris Agner reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Chris. Thanks very much for your company on the Country Hour today. I did want to leave a little bit of time at the end of the program today because we have been out on the road. I was in Canberra. The team was bringing you uh, plenty of news and information from the mountain calf sales over the last couple of days as well. If you missed that, if you missed those wonderful programs... Uh, at least the best country hours this week, probably probably the year so far. You should go back and listen to them. Wherever you get your podcasts, look for the Victorian Country Hour. Download those episodes from, from the cattle sales and have a listen. Wrap your ears around them because they are fantastic. They're taking you to uh, a place where not a lot of us can get, certainly at this time of year. So it would be wonderful for you to go and do that. I downloaded and listened to it on my way back from Canberra last night, and it was certainly a great listen in the car in the evening as well. So I would implore you to do that. And if you wanted us to head out to something like the Mountain Cattle Sales or something like the Wimmera Machinery Field Days where Angus has been, I was in Canberra. That's a bit more boring. But if you want us to get on farm or have a look at something that you're doing, you can get in contact with us. One of the easiest things to do is send us an email, countryhour at abc.net.au or ring us during any country hour during the show as well. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get out and about and be on the road and in places where important things are happening to discuss in Victorian agriculture. So please get in touch, get us to get out there. We'd love to come out and see you. And if you can't wait in the meantime, you can head online, abc.net.au slash rural. Have a look at all the stories. You can read about a record 
cotton crop, have a read about mango harvests and what's happening at the Department of Agriculture. It's all there now for you and I'll be back for you tomorrow. Have a great day. <laughs>